0: Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show.
1: My name is Maggie Cameron and I am your host today. I am a senior solution strategist at NetSmart, which means I'm responsible for product strategy and execution. I have a master of science degree in healthcare policy and management from Carnegie Mellon university. And I began my career on the provider side as a nursing home administrator and director of performance improvement. I've been with NetSmart for four years. I am excited to introduce our guest today. Joining me is Eva Baring, a respected expert in senior care services. Eva is a nurse, consultant, CCRC board chair, and has served in a variety of leadership roles across health systems, long-term care, home care, and industry organizations. Eva's career spans five decades, where she spent most of her career in acute care and the last 17 years in senior care administration. She began her career as a clinical nurse. Since then, she has led technology initiatives between health systems and post-acute care providers to improve data exchange and has served on many advisory boards to help transform and enhance the experience of aging. Eva, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: You're welcome. I'm happy to be here.
1: Today, we're going to deep dive into the future of CCRCs, also known to many as life plan communities. We'll get Eva's take on what senior leaders of nonprofit CCRCs need to address with their board. And we'll talk about what boards need to be focused on for future success. Finally, we'll discuss why technology needs a bigger seat at the table and how leaders can lean into digital transformation. All right, Eva, we have a lot to talk about, so let's get started. Okay. (laughs) When we're talking about um, your experience as a board chair for a large CCRC, what's catching your attention? Uh, What are you telling leadership they need to focus on to be successful?
2: Well, I think my perspective is diverse and probably deep, and that is because of my acute care experience, because of my home health experience, because of my association experience, and also now with the long-term care experience, most recently, I bring a different perspective than solely those that are um, ingrained, if you will, in long-term care or senior services, which is a little bit broader. So I would tell as a board chair, what I'm focusing on to be successful with the board is to stay alert to the external changes. The environment is so dynamic and to really assess the skill of your senior leadership Many of them have been in long-term care for a long time, and sometimes they're just not prepared for the advances that are happening both in technology and also in um, external activity and partnership. And so that's a deficit for some long-term care facilities or some senior services. And to stay involved, to get involved.
1: How are you assessing the talent? So, if it, there's longevity for for the people, um, do you do you find that necessarily always as a bad thing? Or I'm sure, certainly, sometimes it's a good thing. <laughs> How do you guide the leadership to assess the talent to make sure that they're in the right place to move forward? I guess was my question.
2: I think the board chair needs to have frank discussions with the CEO. Yeah, so that. If there are gaps or if there are questions raised from any of the board members about either a report, either a narrative or written or expertise, that can be expressed early on. So the CEO can really address that, hopefully uh, correct it, hopefully do some education if that's important, or maybe even reassign uh, some of that senior leadership, which nobody wants to hear and it's always a very difficult situation. But sometimes it does need to happen as we prepare for the future. The people that have been in senior and, you know, I say this with tongue in cheek, but people that have been in senior services for a long time, in many cases, have been encapsulated in senior services and not really externally thinking. And so they lose a little perspective. Sure, sure.
1: I think that's great insight. So while board members are, you know, really assessing their talent and looking, um, at the management, what types of questions and what info should they be requesting from management so the board can better lead their organization?
2: Yeah, I think to stay on top of what's happening in senior services, I I think that a couple things, Uh, dashboards are important, not a lot of narrative, not a lot of board reports coming from operational staff because the board wants to know strategically what's happening, they don't need all the Nitty gritty and details of every single department. So, dashboards are extremely helpful, not just financial dashboards where they have, you know, their financial ratios, their occupancy, their balance sheet, their PL statements, their payer mix, their staff retention, those kind of things, but also clinical dashboards so they have a handle on what clinical things are happening within their CCRC or their life plan community across the continuum. So their um, readmits to the hospital, their length of stay, because all of that affects their contracting with payors. And that's extremely important as they look at revenue sources down the line, and also their uh, referral sources and their connectivity. So whether it's the hospital, whether it is home health agencies in the community, whether it's a local hospice, whether it's any of, rehab hospital, any of those areas, uh, our referral sources, both to the CCRC and also from the CCRC back out to home, as we see more people either not coming to the CCRC or returning back to their own independent living.
1: Yeah, I think that's great insight. Um, so as a leader in senior care and sitting on the CCRC board, what's your perspective on the evolution of reimbursement?
2: Yeah, that's a tough one. That's yeah, like- right? Certainly value-based value based reimbursement is definitely here to stay. Mm-hmm. This fee-for-service mentality of charging for every single thing without getting any um, return on that. And first of all, it's expensive for the client, for the resident, the fee-for-service. Value-based revenue is the way to go. That allows you to gain in the areas that you are exceeding, And recognize where you are not meeting benchmarks so that you can either improve, change, uh, redirect, uh, whatever needs to happen. It will continue to be tight. As insurance companies and the Medicare Advantage plans tighten their criteria, it's ever more important to have uh, your quality indicators, your quality measures, your clinical operationals, Uh, dashboard and again in a dashboard form so board can look at that they just want to see a picture they do not want the detail so any way that they can get that other than handwritten is ideal
1: yeah it really all leads back to that that the data that you're providing right that dashboard uh, across the board how are not only your financial metrics but your quality metrics the big picture of who you are so you can really move into the value-based care
2: and thrive that's right. CCRCs traditionally have relied on dashboards for financial information. Yes. They just really mm-hmm. have, that, that's that been longstanding and for the right reasons. But operational dashboards to be developed and to be produced uh, in a meaningful way and then longitudinally that you can look at that over time, whether that's a two month, three month, six month, that's extremely important as you're looking, particularly at payers and interacting with various insurance payers in your value-based environment and also with your hospitals. They want to partner where they also are going to bank gain. They do not partner with a loser. Exactly.
1: Yeah. It's really forcing us to break down those silos finally between the healthcare providers, right, from acute to post-acute. You have to have value on both sides for, you know, CCRC to benefit and your hospital system to benefit
2: long-term care is no longer a place of permanent disposition right yeah and that and that is a mindset change that is pretty significant long-term care is now more of an episodic care where Mm -hmm. residents will either go home or go back to their independent living or residential Mm -hmm. setting and so it is no longer that long-term stay where people came to long-term care senior services in a skilled facility and just ended up on Medicare and or Medicaid, and stayed there for a year or two or three or five. Now the length of stay in skilled nursing is less than a year as it should be. The rehab are tightening down to one week or two weeks. So these people are either sick or close to end of life. Right. Yeah. The average
1: length of stay, I think right now in a skilled um, rehab is 12 days. You know, that's very different than it was. Five years ago.
2: <laughs> That's right, and I guess something where the insurance companies selectively uh, are tightening that down to seven days, and and so the certification because they don't want to pay either in skilled nursing, they want to pay in the least the least expensive, the least costly. Exactly. Yeah,
1: and so that that kind of brings me to a different question um, when we're talking about change management and you know the fact that seniors today. you know silver tsunami there's a large population we're trying to figure out how to best support them in our ecosystem but i I also find i think universally everyone would agree that seniors don't want to be in the nursing home um, of what they have understood that to be over time so ccrcs are a very appealing model they have you know the independent and assisted living you would go to your skilled nursing facility for a short stay if you were sick or something happened you can move back home But for those who really don't want to leave their home at all, how do CCRCs stay competitive in this market and when they can get services in their home?
2: Yeah, that's a big question. CCRCs think everybody wants to come there, but they don't or they can't afford it. Right, right. I mean, I think the latest statistics from some of the um, major companies and and major databases state that five to 25% of people cannot afford a CCRC. Wow. I'm sorry. That only five to twenty five percent can afford it. I assume that's what. He, yeah, ninety five eighty <laughs> five percent of the people can't afford it. Right. Not only that, do they not want it, but they can't afford it. Even if they did, and so for those people that stay at home and never enter the CCRC, the CCRC needs to change its mentality to be a senior care provider, not just a place where people come and live permanently.
1: Yeah, so are are do you mean by that not necessarily only those that are part of the the plan, right? That bought into the plan, but open it up for people that want to go to their own home.
2: That's correct. Yeah. And I think they can do that. I think that CCRCs are they're experts in senior care. So there's no doubt about that and they've been grown in that and educated in that field. So they do know about aging populations. But to get that expertise marketed to the community whether it becomes educational sessions that they can provide for people that live at home so they know how to take care of themselves, whether it is developing um, a partnership with a senior service, a senior uh, center, so that you can support people there at home, Uh, an adult day service, a a PACE community, a PACE organization where, of course, there's reimbursement for that and people can do that and they can get services that way whether it is a home health agency that they can develop within their CCRC that extends into the community, but still becomes part of the CCRC revenue base, using their staff who are experts in senior care, but they can go out and take care of aging people in their homes, probably for less cost than some of the uh, for-profit agencies.
1: For sure, for sure. I, I think that's really great insight, I you know, and maybe a shift in mentality for a lot of that CCRC is like, hey, you're part of this community. You bought into this plan. So no one that's not a part of it is going to be a part of our community. But that exclusivity is probably detrimental to the bottom line. Yes. Um, And no margin, no mission. Right. <laughs> for those not for profit ones. So. I think just on that same topic of you know changing the mentality of CCRCs to be successful in this marketplace, um, there's also, I, I hit on it a little bit, I think we're still working to overcome negative perceptions um, with living in a retirement community, whatever that means, whether it's independent, assisted, or skilled, and how uh, you know people are like, well, I, I never want to be put in a, a home. Of course, the nursing home of 30 years ago is not what we see today. They're beautiful and wonderful, but how do you change that perception? What can providers do?
2: I really think they have to educate their staff and, and educate the community, whether it's their referrals uh, base of people that are interested in coming to the CCRC, whatever contacts they have externally, whether it's churches, fairs, health fairs, whatever they have that they're promoting and they're branding an active senior community so that they're not seeing they're not seeing a skilled nursing where people are sitting in wheelchairs sitting around a desk, right? which is the whole perception of what happens to a nursing home. Right. It's not the way it is. And most people come to a nursing home for a short-term stay, for a rehab stay, and go home, yep. and they're able to go home, which, of course, paces an expense on the senior community because their staffing have to change. Their staffing skill level and probably their staffing mix have to change. To accommodate those sicker people.
1: Yeah. Higher acuity. We're seeing across the board, even in assisted living, really, we're seeing higher acuity.
2: That's right. And you really wonder about the future of personal care. Right. Or assisted living yeah. in the first place. I mean, I, I'm really an advocate of if people live independently, whether at home or in a, a residential area in a CCRC, and they stay there for as long as they can in the least expensive, most healthy environment for them to obtain their plateau and healthy living. Yeah. They probably don't need personal care because if support services are provided in the residential, they don't need to go to personal care, then they go to skilled when they actually need the skilled care. Right.
1: And by that time, you know, and to your point, at that point they really do require much more significant health care um That's right. than they had at one
2: time. Yeah. So That's right. It becomes a mini hospital.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. I think that I think that's really great insight, especially um, from the perspective of how a one to one or a referral uh, someone's experience in your CCRC can really do the most good or the most harm um, for your referral and the perception of what the CCRC
2: is. So that's right. Yeah, and hospitals don't really understand that either.
1: No, I would
2: agree with so that. So they're still thinking. That's a home. That's a nursing home. They're only beginning to realize the importance of significant referral sources into a CCRC that provide quality care. They're beginning to realize that because of of value-based revenues, because they want the value. They suffer a pinch on their own quality initiatives for readmits and those that are not discharged at your home. So they're not looking to send people to a skilled facility if they can help it which is why we're seeing admissions decrease. Yes. But I don't think that they're going to rebound after COVID to the extent that they were prior to COVID. People have learned how to accommodate themselves at home with support services.
1: Yeah, that's true. And so we're seeing census levels drop across the board. How does a skilled nursing facility specifically prepare for something like that when they know that you know their occupancy is not going to be 98% like it had been for years? It's going to be in the 70s that significantly affects margins.
2: It sure does. It sure does. And it really uh, goes back to flexibility and change. Mm -hmm. They have to adapt. I mean, it it may be decreasing their actual bed complement, which nobody wants to hear because nobody wants to give up beds just in case. Right. That's really a fallacy. People have learned how to live at home. As the population ages, there's a pretty high percent of people that will need some type intermittent support services. Not long-term care. But intermittent support services at home, and so how do you provide that is the big question. How do you get in that environment and in that arena to be able to meet those needs for someone who does not need that long term long term stay? It's great.
1: I mean, it's it, it's definitely a challenge. I think that um, we hear some we hear often or lately, post COVID, um, that we have skilled beds turning into assisted living or personal care beds for that exact reason right that they're they're relicensing, they're decreasing their census for the skilled population because people are managing better at home they want more of a residential setting which is is so true covid ha- forced us forced people to be um a little bit more resourceful probably than we were at one time so as these clients really try to identify what to do or these providers try to identify what to do, there's this the model of the skilled nursing at home and how they can play in that marketplace, which I think is interesting because you're starting to see that come into play a little bit more. It was a concept a while back, but now I think um, the pandemic has really forced us to move quicker into that type of model of care delivery.
2: Yes. No, I agree with that. I mean, skilled care at home is really what we're seeing. People can have IVs at home. We're seeing that. People can go home with tracheotomies after they're not in respiratory distress. They really can. They can have wound care management at home. They can have ambulation support and therapy at home. And they really, in in many cases, you know, all of that's contingent on their uh, social determinants, where they live economically. Do they have a support system? Are they in low-income housing where they really can't get that? I mean, all of those social determinants now enter into all of this in terms of what systems exist for that person to survive well at home. And I mean, well, I mean, their plateau level. I don't mean get totally, you know, healthy. Chronic disease is here to stay. And until we can combat, that's a whole different topic, but until we can combat chronic disease in the older adult and the lifestyle changes that they have from the time they're young until the times they're into adulthood, we're going to see chronic diseases.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I would love to talk to you about about the population health (laughs) of our older adults. Eva, I want to change the topic just a little bit and talk about technology, something that I think has bonded both of us in the importance of serving our seniors. So from a technology perspective, what can be a driver internally and externally? And how should leaders in our industry um, advance their initiatives?
2: Sure. I think that boards, that's not the first topic on their mind. Boards don't necessarily think of technology. They think of capital budgets. And they think of dollars that are budgeted for any needs within the life plan community, but they don't think technology. That's one item. That could be the same as buying you know, equipment for dining. In, in their mind, the priority is not there. So it really is up to senior leadership to make the case statement, I think, for boards to understand the value and the necessity of technology and advanced technology so that they can get the dashboards, get the information they need where staff can be efficient in producing those where they're not dwelling on handwritten, sorting through paper information to get those reports to get to the board. Board needs to see that. But the the fact that boards, they really don't play a big role in technology. They don't use technology. All they want is some kind of board portal that they can get reports and information. And so there are a few board portals that are out there, but it really is up to senior leadership to make the case statement in the budget, right up front for the board to understand the value of technology and what it does, whether it's referral services, whether it's efficiency with staff in their daily operations, whether it is the use of provider use for those um, databases that they can actually get the access, whether it's the referral sources externally or internally so i really place that burden right on senior leaders
1: sure and so i what i'm hearing too is it's not that the board doesn't necessarily understand that there's a need for the investment but strategically how they will use those funds you know it's just not a general you know amount of money like the same as dining services like you said but being strategic about what decisions they're making and helping support the senior le- leadership to solve for those needs, like referral sources or something like that.
2: That's correct. So
1: in that same vein, so if there is senior leadership and they are you know, interested in going out into the marketplace and looking for new technology, what advice do you have for them and what do they need to know to succeed going into that venture?
2: Yeah, that's a big one because you go all the way from you know the system itself. I think the big system, the big idea that you need with this a new new software system that you're looking at is one master MPI across your system, a master patient index that covers every single level of care without doing go in the system, get out of the system, go in the system, get out of the system, click, click, click. And I think providers that are working within that senior care community. They wanna see what happened in residential living to that individual. They wanna see any support services that were rendered. They wanna see the outcome. They wanna see if therapy's been given in the outpatient center to residential living. They wanna see what happened in personal care or assisted living. And then if they're in skilled, they wanna see that and vice versa. So they wanna see that And for staff, the efficiency of doing that, whether it's billing, whether you're trying to produce an itemized bill for an individual family, whether you're dealing with the staff themselves in terms of how they use their devices and the software. So that, I think that is extremely important. I know there are some systems out there that don't do that, and that's a detriment. That is inefficient and almost ridiculous because you lose information. Right. The transfer of data. Yeah, you're going to miss it. Right. As we talk about the continuum, again, we're not talking about an episode in skilled. We're talking about the life of that resident through the community. And that is that's a name changer for people. They don't understand that. You know, those that work in skilled, those that work in in assisted living, those that work in residential, they think this is where I work. No. Right you're there for the resident's life. And so with that, you're providing care efficiently throughout that continuum so they can move back and forth with ease.
1: Totally. And I, you know, that's really, we talked earlier about breaking down the silos between post-acute and acute care, but really within our own ecosystem of post-acute care, we need to think differently, you know, skilled nursing, personal care, independent living, all of that information should flow. And with staffing today too, we don't have time for your staff to be wasting time logging into multiple systems and uh, struggling to figure out where the appropriate data or the source of truth is for that person. So I think that's great insight.
2: I think when you're looking at a system, you know, Maggie, to go back to some of your original question with us, if you're looking for a new software system, I think you're looking at how many enhancements do you see and what kind of updates do staff have to adjust to or how easy is it to adjust to those updates? How is that integrated into your overall system? And then the price point, of course, is always important. I mean, that's always important. And then the ability to integrate most of your systems within the life plan community. I mean, if you look at a life plan community and you start itemizing the number of systems that they have, whether it is, you know, provider systems or hospital systems or nurse call systems or Resident portals, or handhelds that the staff carry, or beepers—all of those things. There should be some some ability at some point to do that with ease. Therapy, your dining services, those kind of things, so you're not having to call people on the telephone and get that information. Absolutely agree. Yeah.
1: Well, that really brings me, Eva, to my final question. I think you've given us such great insight, but as we look to the future of senior care in the United States. What is your number one piece of advice for those leading life plan communities?
2: My number one advice? Yeah. Stay resilient. Develop a sense of urgency to move forward. And I don't mean be aggressive in that, but I mean when when the opportunity is there, don't bypass it. So develop a sense of urgency to move. Time does not wait for that senior service community to think about it think about it, think about it, they just don't, they'll move on to another provider. And so to maintain solvency within that senior community, to stay resilient, be willing to change and develop that sense of urgency among your senior leadership. So the board is prepared and with the board also, of course, continually feed them information about that need mm-hmm. and understand the dynamic environment for seniors and their expectations. Seniors, are changing all the time as these generations move through the continuum themselves. They want different things. They think differently. It is not unusual to have perhaps a parent and their children all living in the senior community. And when you think about a 90 year old and a 70 year old, you know, they're all old. But if you think about that, what that means when they're 20 and they're newborn. Right. That is like ages apart. That's
1: quite significant, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. I think that's that's really a a good point, you know. And that's where things like technology really play such a a big part of that, and what you can provide for those living there, you know, your residents, if they are seventy, they're a young older adult, and they probably want access to, you know, Wi Fi and laptops, and make sure that their iPhone works, you know. And that's different than for activities. Let's go play bingo you know
2: they don't want to play bingo <laughs> oh, they want smart homes they want to be con- yeah right. their heat control who's coming to their door they want to be able to see them
1: yeah I think that's uh that's such great insight and Eva I really enjoyed everything that we were able to talk about today I hope that we can do this again um thank you so much for joining our podcast and I hope everyone has a great day today
2: well you're welcome Meg I certainly enjoyed the opportunity and thank you you were wonderful. Well, thank you
0: very much. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.